When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. And we have a podcast with a little difference here tonight. I'm currently looking at two gentlemen in very bizarre places. Um, Laurie Whitwell is joining us from a road outside Goodison Park. He's literally cuddled up to a shutter I can see on my screen at the moment. And Andy Mitten is also here. Uh, he's not at Goodison Park. He's at another football ground. He's in the press box of the Camp Nou. I don't think this has ever been done before. Um, you might be hearing some slightly different noises in the background than normal, but we're still going to do our best, of course, to react because we are recording just an hour after Manchester United's 2-1 win at Everton. Lots to discuss and dissect from that 90 minutes at Goodison Park. And Laurie, I'm going to start with you because you were there. In the end, not too bad. Yeah, I think it was um, a pretty good win, really. You know, it's a difficult place to come. As you said, I'm currently stood in a little alcove as it's, you know, light drizzle. Uh, it's not too bad, but I'm, I'm kind of taking shelter. But it's, it's that kind of wild night under the floodlights at Goodison Park, which has, you know, potential to trip up a team that is a little bit shaky. Which It felt like that after five minutes, didn't it? Well, exactly, yeah. And at the heart of it, really, for me, is Casemiro, uh, who I'm probably going to be writing about, just because he sort of had it... I mean, I know he won the man of the match, didn't he? But he kind of had a, a hit and miss game, I thought. I mean, because he gave the ball away, he dallied on the ball in that way that maybe you can get away with in La Liga. I don't know, Andy, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but the, in the Premier League, when you've got a player like Onana that was totally on it, he was whipping up the Goodison Park crowd every time he got a chance. Um, you know, gave the ball away. But then he, 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 you know, he did well in setting up Ronaldo in other moments as well. So I, I kind of felt like he was, on his first Premier League start, quite essential to the story. But yeah, overall, a good performance. Ten Hag afterwards was, was pleased, I think. You could tell that he was satisfied that they kind of responded to that Derby Day disaster with a win. Big win. I watched the, the game from the Camp Nou press box uh, with um, occasionally looking over to see how Barcelona were doing <laughs> against Celta Vigo because there was a bit of crossover be- between the two of them. Uh, Barcelona won 1-0, but that's, we don't need to talk about that anymore. Uh, uh, the Casemiro point is, is the right one to make. I thought he had a, a very good game, especially um, given that he, he gave the ball away after five minutes. He'd only played 82 minutes in the Premier League before he took to the field today against Everton. So that was a sharp awakening for him. And he, and he did make a mistake. But I thought what he did in the rest of the game, apart from miss that header when he should have scored, was he brought strength and stability to the Manchester United team. We saw a connection there with Cristiano Ronaldo that was hugely effective when they played for Real Madrid together. He's got loads of experience. I thought it was a really encouraging win for Manchester United. A fifth win in six. At, a, at a, a venue where United got beat last season and I think it should have been more than 2-1 I thought several players were excellent um, Marcus Rashford really looks on it at the moment Luke Shaw came in and, and was very good as well 
but Anthony was excellent, especially in the in the first half. So I really enjoyed watching Manchester United play against Everton. And Casemiro, I think it's a good idea to write about him because I'll always go back to what someone very senior at this club here, Barcelona, said to me when United signed him. He does the stuff you don't notice. He does the invisible stuff. He makes your team so much better. Actually, he did a lot of stuff which we noticed today, like give the ball away. Absolutely, yeah. But he got away with it in the end. <laughs> I know, it was sort of a weird display, whereas I know he got an assist, but with the ball, it was a it was a bit forgettable, really, wasn't it? But without the ball, like we've been saying, he was really important to United's victory, certainly his positioning at times. He's the only midfielder, really, I think, that we can truly rely on from the defensive perspective. Scott McTominay has his moments, undoubtedly. Uh, and actually, McTominay picking up that yellow card means that he misses the match in the Premier League against Newcastle next weekend. So it'll be another another start for Casemiro. And like Andy said, Laurie, it was his first Premier League start that tonight. It's interesting that, that Eric Ten Hag chose Goodison Park as the first place for him to get it. It didn't feel like an obvious one. We've been calling for him to start for several weeks, so we shouldn't really complain when he does finally start. But it'll be interesting to see what he's like once he's had a run of games in the Premier League to get up to speed, like you were saying before. Yeah, I think that's been the question that when you speak to people that have watched him for a long, long time, even back to Brazil days, you know, would he have the physical attributes or, you know, the kind of you know disposition to really suit a Premier League game that's, you know, up and at them, you know, even European games, clearly a guy that's won five Champions Leagues, you can't dispute his quality, but it's a different pace of the game. And I think maybe for the start of this, you know, couple of Premier League encounters off the bench and, and now at the start at Goodison, you sort of maybe saw that a little bit. Um, but but clearly he's going to be, you know, playing against Newcastle. I think Ten Hag had obviously resolved after the City game to put him in the starting lineup uh, against Everton just because, you know, the Ammonia game, I don't think you'd say, he did incredibly well in that. So it's not like he kind of earned his place with that performance. I think he'd already thought, right, I'm going to put you in against Everton. Maybe provide that little bit more defensive security. Because there were moments, wasn't there, where he read the game brilliantly. You know, there was that, I mean, to, to get the, the assist, he intercepted it, you know, um, he, he read that. And that, that's the kind of stuff that you want to see from him. And he could have had two assists, really. If, if, if Ronaldo hadn't taken the ball off Bruno for a second time in the match, when he was, you know, put through, uh, obviously, first half, it was Rashford. Uh, then he could have had another assist with that wonderful cross. So, yeah, good moments. I don't know, I, I still feel, I want to watch it back maybe, but because I was watching quite closely ultimately and there was, there was quite a number of times where he, he didn't quite, you know, give the ball to the right person or, or do the right thing, but maybe I'm being harsh, um, you know, kind of seeing him through the prism of the Real Madrid I don't think lens, you are. Yeah. yeah, I don't think you are. I think there were moments like that in the game, certainly. I think he was very good in the air in Ammonia. I think he won all eight headers. He's certainly not the tallest player. I think the central point to this is, can he adapt sufficiently to the speed of the Premier League? That's what it's all about. He's clearly got so many attributes. Defenders love playing behind him. He's got the experience. He's all about the space. He closes the space down. But players absolutely love playing with him. Um, and I think he played well against Everton, but that's just one game. He's going to keep his place in the team because Scott McTominay picked up a booking about three and a half seconds after coming on and the games are coming thick and fast so I, I was encouraged by his performance against Everton and he's going to have loads of tests look at the games that are coming up they're against teams who are doing well who are winning and he'll be found out very quickly if he's not got it of course he's got it he's Casemiro he's one of the best players in the world but it's getting up to speed in the Premier League um, quickly because if not as we saw after five minutes today bang United are a goal behind Bem jogado Cristiano Ronaldo 
Ainda vem jogado por Cristiano Ronaldo. É um gol, é um gol, é um gol, é um gol, que gol magistral do Cristiano Ronaldo. Wins it back and finds a great ball. His old Real Madrid mate is Ronaldo. Is this the 700? It is Cristiano Ronaldo. Landmark goal for one of the greatest players who has ever graced the game. Cristiano Ronaldo, 700 club goals for him now. And intriguingly, the goal came 20 years and two days since his first strike for Sporting Lisbon in club football against Mori Renze uh, back in 2002. What a goal that was, by the way. I'd not seen that before this week. Absolutely, yeah. I've only seen it today. <laughs> yeah. I love the fact that he took his shirt off and he had a vest underneath <laughs> as well. He looked every bit the 17-year-old, didn't he, playing in uh, men's football. Actually, quite an important performance that overall from Ronaldo as well, Laurie. And I thought it was interesting that he was the choice to come off the bench for Anthony Martial when he got that injury. Yeah, I suppose it was a debatable one. Um, but I think he, he probably wanted a centre-forward and out-and-out centre-forward. I suppose if he'd sent Sancho on and then shifted Rashford across, it would have looked like a, a bigger snub or a, a more drama than was necessary. I think putting him on... Um, you know, after he'd kind of had all those chances against Ammonia. Really? Do you think? Do you, do you think? Because, well, I, I don't know, just because Rashford started that sequence of matches um, when Tenag seems to have been pretty happy with how his team's played, Derby aside, of I course. Think, I think that the way that they ended in Cyprus, Rashford on the left, and, and actually he linked up pretty well with Ronaldo in Cyprus. So he obviously, he got the assist from Ronaldo, whether it was a deliberate thing or not. He, uh, he, he set Ronaldo up himself. So, you know, it, it, I think Tanag maybe had that in his mind and just thought, OK, you know, Ronaldo knows how to score a goal. And, and listen, it, it was the winning goal, wasn't it, ultimately? I mean, we'll get on to Rashford's disallowed goal, which seems farcical to me. We've, we've had some discussions with the Premier League tonight to try and ascertain exactly why that was disallowed. But I can explain it, yeah. Good. Ian, Ian's on the case. Um, but I think, yeah, overall, you put the guy on that, I don't know, that, that knows how to score. You know, he's, he's, he's and a scene of, of almost, you know, the crime. Obviously not a, a legal crime, but you know the the issue last season where you know he, he kind of reacted badly, didn't he, to, to that defeat and the uh, the phone got got smashed out of the lad's hand. Um, so you know at least coming back here and he, he's ended it in a positive way. Didn't see you, which was interesting. I thought for sure he was going over to that corner to do that, and then instead he kind of does the old arms crossed and look like you know what's all the worry about? I'm totally calm. It's all gravy. Um, but I, I think it was a, a good performance from him. Again, there was probably moments where you thought there was issues of connectivity where you know he took the ball off Fernandez, didn't he, when the ball from Rashford was clearly meant for Fernandez and he was offside and he just gets the header to Casemiro's cross when you've got to think Fernandez was shouting. It's, they had a conversation afterwards where it looked like they were discussing that and Fernandez was saying, you know, I was shouting for it. But, yeah, you know, a good performance and I suppose one that we're going to debate, aren't we, all, all the way up to January and probably beyond. But, you know, does he does he look to leave again in, in the winter transfer window? Um, but that was a kind of performance that said, actually, if United do keep him, then you know, it can be beneficial. Well, that's it. I think he'll keep his place, certainly, for the Europa League. And, and he's got a chance of keeping his place for Newcastle now as well, Andy, hasn't he? We did say, and Eric Ten Hag has said many times, that there will come a point where... Cristiano Ronaldo starts games for United and it's happening or it will happen I know he didn't start today but it feels like he will going forward now maybe it does it depends on uh, Anthony Martial's injury I thought the circumstances in which Cristiano Ronaldo came on were pretty sad Martial going off after 27 minutes 
he'd had a good start to the game. He'd set up Anthony for United's opening goal. I thought he was excellent when he came on at half-time in Cyprus on Thursday. So if we're going to lose Anthony Martial again, that's a bit of a worry because there's a theme developing there. Hopefully it won't be too serious. But as I said a few podcasts ago, United's forwards, they look a little bit light if you're going to start picking up injuries. It's great that Marcus Rashford looks so sharp at the moment. I like the way that Cristiano was applauding uh, Rashford at one point because he does berate sometimes Cristiano, especially with some of the younger players. I know some look up to him more, more than others. But he, he, in the words of his manager, he was pissed off uh, last week because he's not playing. He's definitely going to get chances to play uh, this week. He can still finish. There was a part in the game where he ran back to win the ball to set up a counter-attack. I've got that in my notes as it, in the 66 minute. That's great that Cristiano Ronaldo is is doing that. He's definitely got something to offer. And if he's pissed off, then he's going to get a chance not to be pissed off now because the next game's coming up. Ammonia, uh, then there's Newcastle. I mean, is he going to be playing like twice a week? This is for Ten Hag to, to be managing him now because there's that many games coming up. Um, and But we don't know what the situation is with, um, with Martial's injury. What did Ten Hag say about it, Laurie? Yeah, he said that he didn't know. <laughs> I'm not really offering you any insight there, but he said, got to see in the next 24 hours. But I mean, the, the way, as Andy said, that he obviously picked it up in the warm-up, didn't he? And then he sort of struggled through. He obviously mentioned the assist that he got. It was a nice weighted pass to Anthony. So he's still he's still keeping up his ratio, isn't he, of, of goals and assists per minute. <laughs> Maybe that's why he thought, I, mean, I need to keep this ratio up. So actually, I've got a bit of a tweak in the old hamstring. But he's, he's frustrating. You know, it's the third injury already this season that he's picked up. You know, it's not a good look, is it? And um, it's difficult to then rely on somebody like that. If, if they're going to, you know, break down, Tenag will, will surely, you know, I was saying before the game, Tenag was thrilled to, to start him in his first Premier League game. You know, he'd done so well in pre-season, but to see him limp out like that so soon uh, must be so frustrating. Yeah, it's particularly frustrating, Andy, as well, because it just feels like United are better when Anthony Martial has been on the pitch under Eric Ten Hag. We saw clearly in, in Cyprus the difference that he made um, there are reasons for this. We're comparing him maybe to Jaden Sancho, who's not been playing well. I love the, I love his movement. I love his speed of thought. I love the fact that he can play centrally, that he can move left, that he can move right. I think he combines well with Cristiano Ronaldo. I think he's in form, as is Marcus Rashford. I like the fact that Ten Hag made the call to drop Jaden Sancho and Malassia. They've not been playing well. And if you don't play well, you lose your place in the team. I think that's a fair deal for any footballer. Equally, Luke Shaw, who, who's done all right, uh, okay in Cyprus, did well for England, came back in, thought he was really good today at Goodison. He's had a few good games at, at Goodison, Luke Shaw. He's a player who seems, when he's under pressure, we see the best of him. When he's settled in the team, that's when maybe his performances dip uh, a little bit. So, good afternoon for, for Luke Shaw, but I'm really enjoying watching Rashford at the moment. And with Martial... He's got them good stats. He's got the good ratio, as, as Laurie says. Just a, a shame if, it's, if his season's going to be so stop-start because he's got off to a decent start this season. We couldn't have seen this when we were talking about him after that loan spell at Sevilla, which was a disaster. So hopefully he'll come back soon. Hopefully he'll be... He looks pretty confident. And hopefully we're not going to be losing him for too many matches. Good stat for you. That was his first Premier League start in like a year. And he hasn't actually played a full 90 minutes for United since like January 2021. So it's a long time that we're getting to now where, you know, it, it, it's been in the groove. So frustrating, as I say. 
Yeah, I think his last Premier League start was probably against yeah, Everton. Yeah, I think it was that one. At Old Trafford, yeah. wasn't it, when he scored in that, was it a one-all draw, I think, last season? Uh, right, well, keep your eyes peeled, of course, to The Athletic for any updates on Anthony Martial's fitness. Remember, you can subscribe and pay £1 a month for the first six months when you sign up at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. You can read great writing on Manchester United, the Premier League, European football, and you get ad-free versions, of course, of all The Athletic's podcasts. That's £1 a month for the first six months at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Right, Laurie, what's this about you nearly getting knocked out by Tony Bellew? <laughs> I love that that's how you've interpreted my little off-recording note to you to say that I'd had a little episode in the half-time. I did actually think I was going to get knocked out at one point. Uh, we were basically... At the press box in uh, at Goodison, there's only one toilet that you share with the hospitality suite. So anyway, I'm queuing up for it, and he comes out, uh, and his sons are basically in the queue, and he he just stands in front of me, and I'm thinking he's just going to cut in front of me here for the toilet, and I really need nearly need half time pee, and I need to get back to my seat, and I'm thinking I'm not going to say to him, Tony, mate, you've 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 cut in front there, but actually what he did was he basically acted as the as the toilet queue bouncer, so when somebody else tried to sort of cut in front of me. Uh, he went, no, mate, this guy's in front of you first. And then when, the, when his lad came out, he went, right, you're next. <laughs> so I love that even away from the ring, you know, he's still laying it down. Yeah, it's good to know that he's using his retirement resourcefully and being <laughs> a, a toilet attendant at Goodison Park. I'm sure <laughs> the Everton crowd are always uh, appreciative of that. Let's get back to the football. Anthony then, he's becoming a bit of an enigma, Andy, isn't he? I mean, I can't believe that he's the first Manchester United player to score in his first three Premier League games. That just blows my mind considering some of the great players and goal scorers that United have had. But is he contributing enough apart from the fact that he's scored in his first three games and he's the first player ever to do that? I think that's the right question to ask because people are saying he needs to up what he's doing. I thought his first half performance today was very good. He runs at players, uh, he's scoring decent goals. But someone said to me a couple of weeks ago, um, and a, a respected opinion just said, I'm just not having Anthony yet, I'm sorry. And I said, well, you, you don't need to apologise, you're entitled to, to your, your opinion. He, he's definitely got something, but we need to see more of it. I think we've seen more of him than we have been seeing with Jadon Sancho. Scoring's going to do him no harm uh, whatsoever. Had he not kept his place in the team, I, I don't think people would have been stunned. But I think Ten Hag is, is dropping the most obvious ones to drop. Uh, there are other players who are not playing well. Um, but he's, he's making an impact, especially in the first half of matches. That's what I'm noticing about him. I, I'm all right with him. I think if he's, um, he's still very young. It's a big jump up from where he was playing to where he's at. And we're getting those moments. We're not getting them Manchester City levels of consistency just yet. We can always compare with people who are better or worse than him. But let's, let's speak at the end of this month when he's had a really big run of matches because it's been so stop-start so far. But he finished a fantastic goal today. 
settled by his, by his namesake. Absolutely. And he finished a great move against Arsenal and he scored a brilliant goal against Manchester City as well. And, and if it was going the other way, Laurie, and he was playing well and he was contributing more, but he wasn't scoring or, or assisting, he'd obviously be, be facing a lot of scrutiny because of how much he cost and, and not having an end product. So... I'm sort of loath to spend too much time analysing him, really, because it is a huge adjustment as well to go from from Ajax to Manchester United. Even if you don't talk about you know the fee and everything else involved with that and the transition as well. So, yeah, I'm kind of like you guys. I mean, I think it's it's kind of mad that he scored three goals in his first three games, and we're even debating whether he's made an impact. I think we'd all be... Bloody good goals Really as good well, goals. Aren't they? Bloody good I mean, goals. Are, yeah. He's obviously got a move, hasn't he? You know, comes in on his left, off the right, and, and slots it in. But listen, if you keep slotting in, you can't really quibble with it. Arjen Robin made a whole career out of it. Is he as good as Arjen Robin? Does he have that disguise and that burst of acceleration that he had to kind of keep doing it time after time? Let's see. Ericsson I was actually quite interesting on Anthony after the game. I sort of asked him an open question about him. And then a more specific one about can he actually go on the outside of players as well, which is something that obviously Paul Stoll's noted uh, in his BT Sport Punditry. One trick pony, he said, wasn't it? I, I wouldn't go as strong as that because clearly, you know, he's, it, there was other elements. I mean, he actually came across to the opposite flank tonight. He, he swapped with Marcus Rashford in the first half and had a nice sort of passing sequence with Bruno and Shaw down that left-hand side that actually unlocked Everton's defence. So he's, he's got that smart there, but... There are people that say he's very one-footed, that have watched him a long time, way back you know, when he was in, in Brazil, and working on his right would be something that he needed to do. Tenag said that he can cross with his right, but he had been working on that Ajax, and that also he does need more from him. He says you know, he's done really well, but there's, there's clear room for improvement, which I thought was interesting from Tenag. This is his player that he's committed a lot of money towards, but he's not afraid to publicly say the, the bad bits that, that need addressing um so clearly you're going to think that they're working on them and i do what i quite like about anthony is at least that he does you can see that he cares or that he he kind of he tries to understand other players there was a moment where him and casemiro casemiro gave the ball away again with a sort of soft pass into him when it was a counter attack it was a bit of a difficult ball for him to pass and he was sort of saying to anthony come short come short before he passed it and everyone got the ball and broke and afterwards anthony was like holding his hands up and saying sorry to casemiro casemiro saying sorry to anthony it's all very lovely. I mean, maybe you want players to be tearing each other apart in that moment, but actually, I kind of felt that's good. Okay, they both understood what's happened there, and hopefully, they can adjust it for future. When I was in Cyprus and I, I, I did a piece on this for the Athletic, uh, I spoke to three or four people uh, who were experts in in tactics, and not people who can really speak on the record to me. And I was asking them about various players and just sort of marvelling at their knowledge, which sees them at the absolute top of their game. And I'll be honest, at times I'm just nodding along as I'm saying, you see, Andy, did you see what happened after 28 minutes when the two full-backs inverted? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and and but, you know, I'm not in charge of like top football teams, and you know, nor am I... Uh, uh, well, I'm not going to give away too much anyway. But w- when it came to Anthony, one of the people said to me... Um, when I said what had gone wrong in the first half against Ammonia, said the more advanced players moved into their spaces too early and they killed the space they were supposed to run into. That meant that they couldn't overlap or set Anthony up to go one-on-one with a defender and that's what he's best doing. So it's not just on the player. I think you're still seeing a team gelling together. We're seeing little bits of evidence of that today, but it's still really, really early in Ten Hag's time. And yet, it's wonderful when we see Casemiro ping it 
uh, to Ronaldo, or we see little bits of link up between Luke Shaw and Marcus Rashford. But it's still very, very early days. And when United come up against a team who've been playing together for a long time, like Manchester City, we all saw the results of that. But to go to Everton, Everton have been on a really good run. They're not conceding many goals at all. And I was getting real-time knowledge in today's game as well, saying, look how expansive the triangles are which United are using. And obviously, I'd, I'd, I'd spotted those triangles before I was being advised to them, but... It's like someone holding your hand saying, watch this and watch that. Then This is really good for Manchester United. This is what they should be doing. And, you know, there were times under Ralph Rangnick when most of these comments coming into me were negative, 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 with the odd positive. And I just got an early marker today. Manchester United will win this game. That, that came after seven minutes. There's a goal behind. How can you see that? You know, we have hunches as fans. We watch a lot of football as journalists. But if experts are watching it and going, they're going to win it. Andy, I'm going to pull you up on that one. Keep sending me them messages. These experts sound very smart, but I will say that I saw United winning that from the fifth minute or whatever it was. Everton were awful. They kept giving the ball away and I was thinking to myself, United should be winning this comfortably, really. And, and, and they did do. I thought they had a late flurry, Everton. I watched two games tonight where both teams had late flurries. Celta Vigo were absolutely battered Barcelona in the last ten minutes with uh, Yago Aspas, brilliant. He's a great player, and yet when he went to the Premier League, didn't really happen for him, did it? Um, even when Everton were peppering the United goal right towards the end, I still felt that United would win the game. So that brings us on to another point, that resilience that the team is showing. We didn't see that a lot last season either. So if we're seeing a spirit which is growing here, and it should have been more than 2-1, Marcus's goal, which I'm sure we'll talk about, well, it wasn't a goal, but such a shame. That was a lovely move as well. The, uh, the set piece at the end, it was quite funny because you had Eric Ten Hag and, and uh, Eric Ramsey flapping their arms, basically, because Jordan Pitford had gone up and I think they were discussing who should be marking Jordan Pitford. So it's quite an amusing little... And he nearly got to the ball, didn't he? So, but I agree with you. Resilience at the end was, was uh, good to see. And, and Varane came on, not for long at all, but I think he won three headers. He just came on to mark Jordan Pickford, I think. Raphael Varane at the end there. He did a good <laughs> job of it as well. He did a great job of it. Yeah, Let, let's tidy up the Rashford goal then. Laurie, why is it hurting your little head? Well, I just, I thought that if the goal didn't, wasn't put in with their hand immediately, then it, it stood now, I, you know, after the Willie Ball. But then apparently, it's if it's by that same attacker, you know, and, and it's in the same move, then it's disallowed. Um, so basically, if Rashford had actually squared to Bruno Fernandes, it would have been a goal, apparently. It's a goal. Um, but then I've been, you know, yeah. Twitter has helped me and I heard it on the radio as I was driving over to Goodison today that West Ham had scored a couple of goals that basically they'd slam dunked into the back of the net. And then I've seen Mikel Antonio's goal. He like slaps it and, he, and then he goes on to score straight so, away. What's the difference? The distinction, bearing in mind you were speaking to the person who did the voiceover when this um, this piece of law was oh, amended. Really last yeah, season. You're, you're the man. Um, you're straight the to man the source. Uh, yeah, I, I'm that guy, yeah. Did, did you introduce the rule? Did you actually? Was it your rule? Was it your idea? I, I'm not smart enough for that. I just read out the words that they sent me. Are you at fault for Marcus Rashford's goal not standing? That's bang out of order. <laughs> Call it the Irving rule. So basically... If the handball immediately precedes the goal, like with Rashford, it's ruled out if that same player goes on to score. If that same player now passes the ball across to Bruno Fernandes, it's allowed because that is not seen as immediately preceding the goal. And then with Mikel Antonio, he handballs it, then goes on to shoot. It's saved by the goalkeeper. The defender messes up. He gets it back and scores. If it hadn't have done any of that and he just scored the chance 
that he first had, that would have been ruled out just, as well. I'm not saying that the law's correct. Yeah, I'm just okay. saying that's why one was allowed and one wasn't. Does Pickford sort of interfere with Rashford? That kind of bobbles up. Does that not count almost? Am I getting really... You, you, could, and, and, you could maybe argue it, but I don't think Rashford lost control okay. or possession of the ball, whereas Mikel Antonio and, did. But this is getting very... Well, listen, Mike Riley, one more question. <laughs> um, if does, does the ball definitely hit his arm? I mean, we saw replays briefly. It like, looks like it glances and... It also comes off his knee. I mean, I don't know. It just seems so sour, doesn't it, to rule out a goal for that? I agree. I agree. It does. And it didn't matter in the end, did it? So I guess if Everton had equalised from one of those corners, if Rafael Varane hadn't got tight control and Jordan Pickford, it might have been a different story for us. Right, we need to talk about a couple of things before we finish then. Uh, one of them is the the Chelsea away game, which has now been sorted for 530 on Saturday, the 22nd of October. There's going to be a reduced capacity. Laurie, you've written about it. Um, what's the story here then? Why is it taking so long? Yeah, so they've been in negotiation for weeks uh, ever since the Chelsea game had to be rearranged because of their uh, European excursions over to RB Leipzig um, and RB Salzburg, sorry. And so that was on Tuesday. That's a shift it from the Sunday original kickoff to the Saturday. Um, it all seems fine, doesn't it? But... The police basically ranked Chelsea v Man United as a high-risk game, the Met Police, because um, I don't know particularly reason why. I've asked the Met this. I haven't got clarification yet about why that would be. But they were saying that actually if the game kicked off at 4.45, they had this uh, agreement in place with London clubs, apparently, which seems new to me. Again, I've asked them when this has been in place by. Um, then it would have been OK for the full allocation of away fans to go and visit the game. Um, I mean, 45 minutes seems... I don't know how you can rule whether that is going to cause more trouble or not. United have had numerous games at Chelsea with full allocations and it's passed without incident. So I'm kind of a little bit confused as to why it's now been ranked as a high-risk game. Um, but obviously the, the end result is that the police wanted to have uh, United's allocation cut in half to 1,500 from the original sort of 3,000. United have been in negotiations and managed to get that figure up to sort of 2,300. But it means that 600-odd tickets that had been sold already and for a game that's in two weeks they now have to reallocate so Monday morning Monday afternoon Monday evening whenever you're listening to this podcast the idea is that United will have had the decision maybe even announced it as to how they're going to do that there's a few ideas uh, floating about the last thing I think they want to do is have a random ballot where they just sort of draw names from a hat I think they want to do it in a more uh, technical kind of way than that there are certain different mechanisms I think they can achieve for that it might even mean you know, a small number of of tickets, but it might even mean that players' families sort of shift to other parts of the stadium. But I just think it's a real poor show from uh, the Met Police, from the authorities, really. I mean, you know, because ultimately they can't show the game on, on Sky because of a, a four, because of the media blackout between you know, 2.45 and, and 5.15. Um, so that's one sort of aspect, you know, maybe the broadcasters could have said, OK, fine, we won't show it on TV. Never going to happen. But it means that the, the match fan loses out, ultimately. And I just think the Met, I don't know, I'm really confused as to why this match is now apparently a high-risk game. You can read more about it in Laurie's article, of course, on The Athletic. David Ornstein will have more details in his column on Monday. But Andy, you've been following it closely as well, haven't you? I have. I think it's a disgrace and I think it's on the Metropolitan Police. They should police a match, not decide what the event is and what the crowd size should be. I've been going to Stamford Bridge for years. There's not trouble there. It's really odd that they've just come out with it and come out with it so late as well. They've known about the date of this fixture from the 31st of August. We're now into October and people not unreasonably have made travel plans to go to London and it just doesn't stack up. There's no major reasons coming forward. 
There's no other Premier League games in London on that day. There's nothing at Wembley. It's just really odd. I think they've got it completely wrong. I know that Manchester United have been fuming about it. I know that United have been trying to uh, get the allocation back up and partly succeeded because Met Police wanted it to be down at 1500. I know that Chelsea fans, because I've spoken to them, they don't think it's right either. It's just a real odd one. If they could point out and say, look, there was serious disorder last year, this is why we're doing it, I could start to understand the reasons. But there's been several 6,000 strong away followings at Chelsea in recent years. There hasn't been any issues with Manchester United fans down there. A couple of like words by the coaches on Fulham Road, but I'm sorry, they've got it completely wrong here. And what worries me more than anything is that it sets a precedent where the police, whichever police force, be it Metropolitan Police or others, can just say, we think this. And the allocations which have been stuck at 3,000, and that's a decent number, suddenly get whittled away. Yeah, OK, we'll keep a close eye on the fallout and exactly what is decided in terms of how the tickets are allocated from Manchester United. Before we go, let's preview the match then on Thursday against Ammonia. Again, a must-win for Manchester United or else Sociedad show no sign of slowing down in the group. They've won all three of their matches so far. They've only conceded once, so it's really important that United win their games because it looks like it's building up to the idea that they're going to have to go to Spain in that final group match, Andy, and beat Sociedad by a greater scoreline than 1-0. Yeah, and... I thought it was quite odd at Old Trafford, the the atmosphere. Obviously, the Queen had just died. I'm not sure how the players were uh, affected by that. But if Manchester United need to go to the Basque Country and beat um, La Real, then that's what Manchester United need to do. Real Sociedad are in good form. They're playing well in the league as well. They're, they're in sixth position. They won the last three matches. Uh, but Manchester United have got better, better players than Real Sociedad. So... I think United will beat Amonia at Old Trafford and I think that, as you say, going to the Basque Country and, and needing to win if we're going to win the, if we're going to win the group. There's a piece you've done on The Athletic, Andy. Um, the headline refers to the idea of Manchester United preparing for away matches, how Manchester United prepare for away matches in Europe. But there's lots of detail in there and detail that's going to be relevant for this return match against Amonia this week. Yeah, I'm intrigued how how United scout opponents because long gone are the days where Fergie would say to Mike Phelan go and have a look at them for me there's so much more detail goes into it now opponents are watched four or five times in person and as well using these big wide screens so that gives you a full view of, of the pitch and so much of, of United's um, scouting is data driven uh, it's all reduced down into packages as well so that players can look at who they're up against in with bite-sized videos aside from the football tactical side of it i've noticed that manchester united are changing the way that they do reconnaissance for european trips they're sending staff out a couple of weeks before they're doing these eight page eight page reports for fans which i think are really useful so fans aren't going into places like cyprus blind they're being told specifically you know the public transport is this we will put on free coaches for that. We'll do a supporters. So I just sense a much better line of communication between the club and the fans, which I think 
is a good thing and not a bad thing. And I'm always interested in any sort of detail as to what Manchester United do to win football matches. I also realised that that went out on Friday after a pretty unconvincing performance against a Cypriot team. And as I said in the piece, they could be the weakest team that Manchester United play. And obviously you leave an open goal then for people going, well, they scouted them four times and that was the result. But I don't think that's the point. I think a huge amount of, of due diligence goes into scouting the opponents. And that was just one game. There's nine games this month. The level of detail and some of the staff who were working on this, they're literally getting back, they're working all hours to best present Eric Ten Hag and his staff with detailed information saying, this is what you are going to come up against. I mean, this isn't just happening because of Ten Hag. I remember being surprised seven or eight years ago when United played a friendly against Valencia and I spoke to Ryan Giggs and I said, I've just seen Javi Fuego at the airport. And he went, what? I went, yeah, his wife's just given birth. So he had to join the team later on. He went, well, he's the one I've picked out. And Giggs just reeled off a list of things that Javi Fuego did and does for a friendly match. And I thought, that's my football club. I'm quite impressed by you here. This is only a friendly game. Of course, Javi played, got man of the match and scored four goals against United. No, I didn't. <laughs> I was waiting for some kicker at the end there, Andy. Um, in terms of the team then, Laurie, just quickly for, for Thursday, Jaden Sancho, you think, would maybe be given an opportunity? Um, anyone else you'd like to see? I don't think Donny van der Beek's going to be playing. He's been missing in action, hasn't he, this season so far? And Carl's written about him on The Athletic if you want to find out more about why he's not playing. After Ammonia, United play Newcastle on the Sunday, Tottenham on the Wednesday, and Chelsea on the Saturday. It's it's a pretty it's a pretty full on week. Who do you think might be given an opportunity, Laurie? You know, you, you've got to freshen up, as you say. Uh, yeah, Donny Van der Beek. He's he's been injured. It's an interesting one, though. We've not really got that much detail on that. I mean, I suppose he could bring Malastia back in. Um, those kind of you know, positions where you know you kind of got two players that are kind of. You know, competing for it, I could perhaps see him rotating. But then again, he's also said that he sees Europa League and Premier League as interchangeable. He doesn't really want to make changes just for the sake of it for the Europa League. So I don't know if he if he will, you know, have that many uh, alterations. That maybe Varane comes back in. You know, as, as you say, he came came on, did well in that in that passage. Maybe he replaces Lindelof. Um, you know, but I mean, Maguire. I don't, I don't think he's he's fit yet. He was uh, here today. Um, you know. Went into the uh, away dressing room before the game. He's been in Portugal over the weekend uh, for having a bit of recuperation. So, um, yeah, I think he's obviously trying to get back to full fitness, but he's, he's not, you know, in contention. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a few changes that he can make, but I don't think it's going to be wholesale. No, OK, fair enough. Um, right, I'm about to say goodbye, but just before we do, the final word. Remember this. I got my mind set on you. Yeah, Andy, how did Frankie Dion get on tonight? How's life turning down Manchester United going for him? He uh, came on after, just let me check my notes, you know, I'm, prop, I'm supposed to be a proper journalist here. He came on after 63 minutes in a, a triple substitution for Pedri, who scored the only goal of the game. Look, I think Frankie's a fantastic player and I can totally see why uh, Eric Ten Hag wanted to sign him. I'm slightly intrigued because Casimiro is a completely different type of player to Frankie de Jong. So 
for much of the summer, as we know, and we discussed it, you know, over 18 continuous hours throughout the podcast, why he'd be important for Manchester United. <laughs> you, can, you can never say never that he might not. No. And Herrera was going to come and he came a year later. I've got no evidence whatsoever that Frankie de Jong is joining Manchester United anytime soon. But the fact that United can agree a fee with a club like Barcelona for him shows that United's still in a, a decent place financially. He's doing all right. I mean, he stayed. He never wanted to leave. Barcelona are top of the league. They've got a massive game on Wednesday. They need to win against Inter in the Champions League and probably need to get a result against Bayern Munich as well. If not, they drop into the Europa League and Frankie de Jong could well be coming to Old Trafford as a Barca player. Wouldn't that be a twist after all that? Right, don't forget, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month for the first six months. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. We'll be back on Thursday after the Ammonia game. But for the minute, Laurie next to a shutter outside Goodison Park. Thank you very much for being with us and braving the rain and the conditions and cars driving past and whatever else was going on when you were sticking your tongue out at someone earlier on. And Andy, for staying on late at the Camp Nou as well. Thank you very much for being on Talk of the Devils as always. Thank you, you guys, for listening at home as well. We'll see you again on Thursday. Bye-bye. Athletic.